Welcome to the Unapologetics Podcast. Join Dr. Timothy Gillespie and Dr. Alex Bryan as they unapologetically talk about theology, philosophy, and trying to find the right questions. Welcome, everybody. This is, uh, I don't know, I'm calling it day two of the Unapologetics podcast. And Alex is here with me, Dr. Alex Bryan. How are you doing, Alex? Doing great. How are you, Tim? Good, man. How are things up in, where are you? You're in eastern Washington? Is that what it is? It is, southeastern Washington. So, um, frosty. That's the word for this morning. I just took my daughter to school and uh, fortunately decided to go out to the uh, driveway because we park our cars outside and uh, right. turn the car on like 20 minutes before we got in there because it was uh, 26 degrees and cold. That is cold. And you live That's in a little right. town, so that was probably like a four-minute drive, right? 20 minutes of warm-up for a four-minute yeah, so drive. Yeah, so don't – let's let's not really – yeah, let's not talk <laughs> about the, uh, the environmental impact on making sure that uh, I was – Although the windows were also covered in frost, so it was a safety okay. issue as well. So there this is go. not just comfort. This is a bigger <laughs> deal than that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so listen, we're, we're as you know, we're calling this podcast Unapologetics, and we're kind of delving into, I think we said theology, philosophy, and trying to figure out the right questions. Um, but I think we got to lay down some rules of the road, kind of some some basic assumptions that we are bringing into this conversation. And when we talk about assumptions, it's like reading the first 50 pages of someone's doctoral dissertation. I mean, I hope that's not what this is like exactly. But you know, there's defining of terms. There's, this is what I mean when I say this, this is what this means, you know, to familiarize people with the context of the actual conversation that's going to be had. I don't know, have you ever read anyone's doctoral dissertation on purpose, besides your own? Um, I, I ordered a couple books and I didn't realize they were actually dissertations <laughs> just put up with a fancy cover. Uh, so, yes, I did just because I had to grit my teeth and bear my and I purchased the book. So darn, darn it. I'm going to read the book. <laughs> Speaking of which, you have your you have your doctor. What did you write? What was your dissertation about? Just I'm just curious now. Yeah, the, the relationship of emotional intelligence and Christian discipleship. In other words, the premise was we focus on intellectual sort of left brain concerns, but really the idea of discipleship and growing in God is a lot about emotional development as well. That in a nutshell, it's the, the dissertation is not worth that. What I just said, that's basically worth the whole dissertation. Don't worry about the rest of it. <laughs> that's good doctoral work though, right? Being able and to. Your, what was yours? What was yours about? Oh, um, mine was mine was about um, multiple communities living under one roof in mm. in churches and how to build those relationships so they're not toxic, which uh, they are most <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> most of the time. But um, no, that's the work of your doctoral work, right? Trying to distill a significant amount of information into like eight words. And once you figured that out, that's like 90% of the work. The rest is just going to figure out what people have said about it. That's right. I think, I think. And what do they say? They say, um, you know, your doctoral work is not about the breadth of what you know. It's about the depth of what you know, which I think a lot of education is just learning to learn, right? No, I, I, I think it is. And I think 
what's what's interesting and you've heard me say this probably too many times but it's always intriguing to me that with every level of education there should be greater humility and so you have a a bachelor student graduates and you ask them a question about some historical subject and they tell you about it and then a master's in history you ask them and they're like they hedge a little bit and they go well it's not really my area and then you ask our friend lisa clark diller who i mentioned on the last <laughs> uh, podcast about something that happened in like you know 1782 and she's like well i i don't really know much about seven day i i studied 1781 so i really don't know anything about seven <laughs> and and the point is you know not only is there greater specificity with learning but the point of any kind of learning including this podcast is mm -hmm. every door that you open should create even more humility and i right. think by the way by the way i think this is why the idea of eternity a new earth eternity with god is incredibly exciting because every day is like opening a hundred more doors and you realize it just is exponential right it's just Right. Learning just keeps expanding and expanding. It blows your mind. So the idea of boredom in heaven makes no sense because true learning just keeps opening up more worlds. And so I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty cool, actually. That's an interesting parallel to the ever-expanding idea of the universe, right? Um, yes, yes. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. I, I'm always amazed that like every time they find the smallest, you know, the smallest bit of material, they, they find a smaller one. Right. Because I remember growing up and they're like, it's atoms. That's as small as it gets. And then quarks. And then I don't know. I'm sure they found something else. I don't follow that line of reasoning. But that that kind of leads us into this because you said something that that probably begins begins our discussion of the rules of the road for this for this conversation, this podcast. You said, um, you know, when we think about God and inherent in that word, God is an assumption that you believe in one. Right. So the the uh, podcast is called unapologetics right there's a whole line of uh, philosophical reasoning that we would call apologetics which is basically try not to prove but what what is the evidence that god actually exists right now we might cheat tim and do a conversation <laughs> about classic christian apologetics at some point because i actually you know there's a lot of there's a lot there but we're beginning with an assumption that you and I have probably were born with, but certainly have wrestled with and come to that, that there is a God. So we're, right. that's not actually the work of this podcast. That is an, an assumption, which is the word you just used. It is a, we've already, we've already sort of settled that question in advance of this particular conversation. I, again, we, Tim, we could cheat at some point and have a conversation about how we came to that conclusion, but, that's an assumption. We we believe that there is a God. Right. So not to do not to do the work. Listen, first of all, we're going to let's stop apologizing if we do apologetics because yeah. we're unapologetic even about apologetics. There's a lot of there's multiple <laughs> layers of meaning of that um, title. But but w let me just ask you really quickly, why do you believe in a God? Well, now you're going to make me go into apologetics, I suppose. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I'm saying. Because you know we're gonna do that. Let's gonna not break shy the away. Straight away. Yeah. We set the rules. We can break them. Uh, I think. I think that um, the fact that humanity almost universally desires, longs for, hopes for, dreams about, thinks about has a has podcasts like this one is 
is overwhelming evidence to me that there is something beyond the material world. So right. uh, just from a, again, forgive me, because now we're in Christian apologetics, but, but I have a very difficult time coming up with an evolutionary accidental reason why we would have this huge craving, which basically gives meaning to everything, Tim. Everything right. that we think about that, that counts from love and joy and hope to what happens after you die, all these questions that, that are in us, they're the most important things we think about, all of us. It just suggests to me that there is something beyond because I can't understand, I can't come up with a reason why we would have all these things in our head if we were just sort of material beings. Right. So you're kind of arguing from the God-shaped hole, right? In classic philosophical terms. I, 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 I don't I, I can't come up with a better explanation for how those things could exist. That's right. Just a basic survival instinct. Yeah. To me is not a it's it's not a reasonable, plausible or I should say, it's not a per persuasive explanation to me. So uh, I, the fact that, you know, I know he lives because he lives within my heart that him, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, there, actually, I kind of believe that. That's good. I know. I know he lives because he lives within my. I. I have this longing, which is persuasive to me. That's awesome. And that's you know, while that's relatively non-academic, that's. I think. I think that's where people land, right? I think that's where most people have this sense of like, well, I you know, I want there to be one. Because it feels like right. there needs to be one. We're trying to, and I think some of that is trying to make sense out of the world and trying to make sense out of, you know, organize organize things a little bit. I'm not of the, I'm not of the, um, the philosophical thought that you know we we're creating this because we need this. I would be more definitely more with you saying, um, you know, there there's an innate there's an innate desire for an understanding of of something that's greater than us. Well. <clears throat> Well, and now we're doing apologetics on the <laughs> apologetics podcast, but uh, C.S. Lewis, you, you're baiting me. But you know, C.S. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis argues that we don't create things because we need it, like that. That's just not something that happens. So we're hungry, so we don't create food. We're hungry because food already exists. We're thirsty because water already exists. We have sexual desires because sex already exists. We have desires for relationship because other people already exist. He, he argues that, that we don't do that. Like we just, that in every instance, the things we long for already exist <laughs> in terms of categories. And that's why he argues that this incredible desire for the spiritual realm, the most likely explanation is it already exists. That's yeah, why that's we good. crave it. Yeah, that's so. good. And so that's that's the assumption that we're going on now. Would we call that like doctrine of God kind of stuff, or is that is that something different? Just to clarify. Yeah, I, I well, I think that in you, you've raised you've raised the uh, you know kind of how we think about. I'll raise the I'll, I'll include the term here systematic theology. So it's a right. way of trying to pr provide systematic thinking to theological thought. Yeah, the doctrine of God assumes that there is the divine. Right. Now, so we have so now the kind now, now the particulars of that of that God, we'll get to that later, but right. Right. You know, for for quite a while. But but yes, the doctrine of God assumes that there's a God. Right. And so we're we're taking that assumption into this conversation which 
we're unapologetically doing. And I don't think I don't think I'm. I've never thought that it's done a lot of good to try and convince someone that there's God. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm just not very good at it. Um, I, I think that the way that we have a tendency to convince people or the way that people's minds are changed have a lot to do, a lot more to do with feelings of acceptance and belonging, a lot more to oh. do with the idea of love and compassion and sympathy and empathy, all those types of things, as opposed to an academic argument. Although maybe I just don't hang out with, you know, people who need that. Well, I, William Lane Craig is one of the great Christian apologists of our generation and he argues that love is the greatest apologetic mm, good that's good you know and and this is at the end of a very academic book by the way he writes this just you know you can hardly get through a page because it's so <laughs> dense so you go you know hundreds of pages through his book with all these deep philosophical arguments for god and then in the last two you know a couple of pages he's like <laughs> nah but you know at the end i've never really met people that are persuaded by all this and then he says, love is the ultimate apologetic, Yeah, that's which good. is what you just said. Yeah, that's that's so good. <clears throat> and and so but but that listen, that begs some other things. Right. If you if you we if we're assuming that there's a God, we're also kind of assuming that he still speaks. Right. Well, um, or or you, has spoken, has spoken. Maybe or I should certainly, say that. Certainly. So if you hold a deist. So let me say that word again for our audience, deist view of God, which uh, men like Thomas Jefferson held, enlightenment thinkers held this view that God sort of got things going in the beginning and then left the scene. Um, so there is that theology that God exists, but he doesn't really participate. He doesn't really reveal himself. But yes, I think we are also, you and I, the two of us are making the assumption that God reveals something right um and and so that's another leap that we're making right. that we're not you know we're kind of admitting that we're confessing that on the front end that a there's a god and b he is uh he she we'll get to that too but whoever he or she <laughs> is um uh speaks reveals mm -hmm. throws some hints throws some hints down right right so that's you know, classically, we would talk about that as revelation. Yes. Right. Just a simple revelation. And I think we would take the underlying assumption that um, anything that is revealed about God comes from God. Correct? Or am I pushing that too far? Correct. No, I don't think you're pushing that. I think that that's right. Now, it's also true that we will contest certain um, interpretations or claims of God's right revelation from certain christian groups or other religious groups that we would say well no that's not really god's revelation but if that makes sense like we could we could say well god is clearly revealing this well maybe not so much right um but but yes that we would the word revelation I, I agree with your definition of it. I think that, right. that and, God has revealed himself. Right. And that gives us, you know, that gives us pause, I suppose, not pause. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? That gives us, uh, um, again, maybe, maybe just a framework to say, okay, we believe there's a God. God's revealing himself. How? How is God revealing, has revealed himself or perhaps continues to reveal himself? Because there's some danger in that, right? 
a few a few ways, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here necessarily, but if God is revealing himself, we've got two issues. Number one, what's he saying? Two, how's he saying it? But really, there's a third issue, which is how we're hearing it or how we're interpreting it, right? Which kind of begs, begs interpretation. You know, there's an interpretive issue that we have to deal with as well as an epistemological issue that we have to deal with. Um, you know, so, so there's a lot packed in here, which is kind of fun. And before we get to the how does God continue to speak, um, should we ask the question of why God revealed himself? Sure. Do you want to take a swing at that? Well, <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to answer the question, Alex. I just wanted to pose the yeah, question well, and see well, if you I, wanted to play with it a little bit. Well, I this is a little bit of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it, Tim? Because it's through the revelation that you and I would argue that we discover the reason that he's actually participating in revelation. <laughs> right. Right. I mean. Right. So, uh, if, if I pick up the phone and call you say, Hey Tim, or I text you and say, Hey Tim, you got a half an hour this afternoon. Let's talk, which by the way, our listeners should know we do that quite a bit, but, uh, that suggests something The the mere fact that I want to reveal something to you and have any conversation with you suggests some things on its face. It suggests that I want to be in communication with you, right. which is a powerful idea. I mean, right. it that suggests um, that what I have to say and what you have to say matters to me. Mm -hmm. It suggests that that you hearing what I have to say and me hearing what you have to say that that has meaning in my life. If we say that God wants to reveal without even knowing what God wants to communicate. You know, you know, the people that uh, I don't really care about. It's people that I don't really, I don't really want to talk to them. Right. Right. Like, um, and in fact, even the people I want to scream at because I'm mad at them, that shows a certain respect because I want them to actually know that I'm ticked off at them or right. I'm upset with them or I disagree with them. Even argument is a form of respect. Is it not? Right. Yeah. The when opposite. Ignore, of, the the opposite yeah. of love is not hate. Right. The opposite of love is indifference. Precisely. Yeah. So the fact that God is not indifferent. Has yeah, that's some, big. That's, that's big. It excess. God either has. At least it says God has interest in us. Right. At most, it might mean that He either cares about our opinion. Or, in fact, that he loves us and why it, revelation itself is pregnant with something pretty powerful. Right. That's interesting because that actually imbues this idea of, of value into us. Right. Which is pretty powerful, which I mean, you go back to like Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where he says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Let us make man, um, which I've always thought is, you know, that's so fascinating to me. It imbues within his creation um, such value you know, which is incredible because we value what we identify with, right? Which is like us. I look at my kids and when I see myself, I'm both, you know, I'm both um, incredibly encouraged and deeply chagrined. You know, they got, they're me. And that means they got some of the good stuff and some of the bad stuff, but there's such value there. Like when my kids walk into the room, I don't, I mean, I like you a lot, but when my kids walk into the room, they're more valuable for right. a specific, you know, just because they're, they're a part of me. And so that, that, um, 
with that instilled nature of value that God puts in us as, you know, created beings, however that happened, is, um, man, that's huge, right? That's huge. So what you're saying is that the fact that God's interested in revealing himself to people, to to us, means that he cares about us, which is huge. And and the power of that, the significance of that communication for those of us that are preachers. Yesterday, you told me how much you're missing during this COVID season. You're missing the, the live preaching moment. Right. Well, I've been thinking about that since yesterday, since you mentioned that. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, who's a, an Episcopalian minister, when she stopped parish ministry, talked about how she could hardly sit in church anymore after that because she missed what was going on in that preaching moment when she was up front. Why? Because she felt the power of being a conduit right. between what God was saying and what people were hearing and what she was saying on behalf of people back to God. In other mm. words, so I'm, I'm pastoring you a little bit right now, Tim. I think that what you miss is not the show of being up front is not, I mean, there's many different things. I think that what you miss is being at the, at the, uh, the center, the crossroads of that communication that's going on where yeah. you're speaking for God and you're speaking for the people. And oh my goodness, preachers know that is an awesome, terrifying, but it can be an electrifying feeling. Right. No, it's, a, it's and, an, and we've talked about this before, it's addictive, right? Um, selfishly, it's addictive, but it's, it's this powerful moment where you feel the Holy Spirit working. Not, and like powerful, when I say powerful, I don't mean like it's like you have power. That's not what I mean. No. What I mean is there's a recognition of, wow, this is the divine touching earth. Um, you know, seeking to communicate. And I have, a, I have a role to play in that. And I love, I love the fact that you made it dialogical, by the way, that, that we as pastors, we as preachers have an opportunity to speak back to God on behalf of the community as right. well, which I think is, that's, ooh, that's good stuff. And, well, and, and you experienced the same thing. I mean, you left a few years ago from pulpit no, ministry. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and this is in fact prayer and well, these are subjects where we're, we're kind of, we're going to have to put some of these cars in the parking lot, by the way, listeners, right. because we're raising things that we will come back to in greater depth. But I think when we're talking about revelation, mm -hmm. which is what we're talking about right now, revelation and inspiration, there's another term we'll introduce. But this process of hearing God, we're talking about prayer and prayer is dialogical. Prayer is saying things to God, but it's also pausing to hear God. Prayer is not just folding your hands and closing your eyes. Prayer is this whole, so I guess I'm throwing in the word prayer here, Tim. Right, right. Prayer is the, this larger experience of, of this communication with God. Yeah. That's what it is. It's this hearing and speaking to God, you know, two-way street. Right. Ideally, I mean, that's what we want it to be. Here, here's what's interesting. When you talk about revelation and inspiration, so anyone who goes to seminary, um, right, which is where they train pastors. Anybody who goes to seminary, you know that one of your first classes that you have to take is, is um, Revelation Inspiration, right? I took yes. that in my first quarter in seminary. Yeah. Um, I had it at 7 a.m., which is a horrible time to take a class in Michigan. Especially there's, in no the there's no Revelation Inspiration at 7 a.m., brother. <laughs> okay, so I got a quick funny story about this. I was taking from, a, from an, an older professor, 
let's say he may have been a professor emeritus at the time. Like he was, he was an older man, gentleman. He did not come from this country. No problem with that. Other than, you know, culturally he may have missed a thing or two. Um, so he would pass around an attendance sheet at the beginning of class. And at one point someone put Ken Griffey Jr. on, on the, and if those of you who, who are a little bit older know that he was a baseball player, um, Anyway, so someone put his name on and put a few other names on, but Ken Griffey Jr. was the one that kind of stuck. No matter what, he would pass out this attendance sheet. Somebody on the first day put Ken Griffey Jr. and then put it on a few more times. And about halfway through the quarter, our professor gets up and he says, uh, does anyone know where Ken Griffey Jr. is? And of course the class is dying, you know, cause we'd all kind of forgot that somebody had put that on the list. So we're all laughing. And he's like, why are you laughing? And someone finally breaks down and it's like, well, professor, that's that he's a professional baseball player. And he's like, well, he's not in my class and he will fail if he doesn't come back, which I thought was, was pretty good. Um, would by the way, he never was convinced that this guy was not in his class, which I thought was pretty good. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, the concepts of revelation and inspiration are really important. And, and the inspiration part's really important as well, because revelation is the idea that God speaks, has spoken, might speak today, continues to speak in the world. And that kind of depends on your theological, like kind of, um, you know, bias, if you will, on how, on, on if God does that, if God has done that, how God has done that. And then of course there's inspiration, which is how does God speak? And as he, and that, that, impacts the way that we look at scripture, um, that impacts the way that we look at lots of things. Maybe unpack that a little bit, the idea of inspiration. So let me first say, I, the word inspiration is pulmonary language. To inspire is to breathe air, right? Literally, mm. it's like blowing up a balloon. So it's inspiration is air getting blown into a human's lungs. That's how we understand the term. And so this takes us back to Genesis uh, in the beginning where God breathes air, inspires into the lungs of Adam, you know, the first human being. This oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, can't get the preacher out of you. Man. I don't know. If it's, a... I don't know if it's good. No, but I think that's useful because I think that's important because when we think about inspiration, this is the means by which God is breathing himself, his 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 language his information his love inspiration is a very i'd even say intimate so if you think about if you think about uh, mouth to mouth resuscitation for example this is a very intimate um so inspiration is not casual it's mm -hmm. not it, it's it's so anyway so let me just be begin by saying that it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty significant thing and the purpose of inspiration is breathing life right Oh, it's, that's good. It's, it's, it's to breathe life uh, into something. So, um, so what are the me? What are the modes? Uh, forgive me, Tim. I'm going to take you back to your 7 a.m. class. Sounds there good. are, uh, and then you can. I didn't really, I didn't really pay attention in the 7 a.m. Yeah, well, class, so this may be new for me. Well, this is for Ken Griffey Jr. Then, since he didn't okay, show <laughs> yeah, well, he clearly doesn't know this stuff. <laughs> so, um, okay, get back on track, Alex. Uh, so. We talk about um, sort of natural revelation or natural inspiration. That there is, um, that when you wake up in the morning, that God is just speaking through 
help me, Tim, through what the you experience. The, the God is in the, the air. God is in the air. Okay, that's good. No, no, we no, have, but even, yeah. We have a tendency to look at it like, oh, a sunrise is inspirational, right? That's kind of what you're talking about. Right. What is revealed and, and in the way that we live. And that's true. No, that's perfect example. But we tend to use the word inspirational then with just, you know, Beethoven symphony or a sunrise, like you said, or sort of these enlightened things. But in reality, God's fingerprints are in everything. You'll yeah. forgive me, forgive me here, but uh, quoting um, a theologian in our own tradition, Ellen White, mm -hmm. says that God's love is revealed on every flower. Okay. So what does she mean? What does she mean by that? She means that in the God's fingerprints are everywhere. Yeah. His voice is everywhere. His his uh, attempts to breathe life and information and love into us are in this conversation, the computer on your desk, everything. Right. So um, David Dark, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book called Everyday Apocalypse. And he talks about God being revealed in the mundane. And he takes on a lot of cultural things that he talks about God being mundane. I think one of them is The Simpsons, actually. And he talks about God being revealed within The Simpsons. And then he later on wrote, wrote another book called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious, and where he kind of teases out that theme a little bit more. These are good books. I see you writing them down. These I'm are writing good it books, down. <laughs> for sure. He also, he also wrote The Sacredness of Questioning Everything, which I think is a book about doubt, which is phenomenal as well. He's just a really good thinker. Um, David, David Dark is his name. And he, in Everyday Apocalypse, he reminds us that um, that word apocalypse really does mean revealing, right? That's what it really does mean. And so we have a tendency, you know, if we're apocalyptic in nature, if you will, we have this idea that, um, you know, everything's ending when the concept of apocalypse is not simply that. It is that God is revealing himself more clearly to us, to the world. So, so when you talk about natural revelation, we're talking about the everyday apocalypse of walking outside, taking a breath of fresh air, which you can do where you live, and it's a little bit harder where I live. Um, but you take a breath of fresh air, and you realize, you know, God somehow is in this, right? Okay, now you're, I, I feel think, like now you're searching on Amazon right now for those yeah, books. No, I, I'm not searching. I already purchased. I already purchased the book. <laughs> it is on. Oh wait. My doorbell just rang. Amazon just delivered the book. The drone, the drone just delivered. The, the drone book. is buzzing outside my house. Exactly. Um, I think, uh, yeah. I and I want you know I want our listeners to know that you and I have talked a lot about this over the last decade and a half, and I've thought about this a lot too. God is communicating all the time in countless ways far before you ever pick up the sacred text in the Bible. Right. So I think the way I was raised, and I, I don't mean my parents necessarily, but I mean the way that I grew up in a religious community with a sacred text of scripture, I thought that, okay, now it's time for some God time. So I opened the cover of my Gutenberg Bible, right? The old, you know, I opened the Bible and that in those pages is where God communicates. Now, 100%, and we're going to talk an awful lot about the scriptures over the coming days and weeks and months and years or for however long we keep this conversation going. Wow, that is auspicious. Let's do it. Yeah, but but I think what I missed and what's taken, you know, it's the, the latter part of my life to realize that no, for 99% of human beings, 
for the majority of human histories, we even can begin to comprehend it. Most of the time to most people, the way that God has chosen to speak is in the natural world. Right. Now, I, I, I just want to explain that for a second. <laughs> because, but a very tiny percentage of the world has the book of Genesis or understands the stories in Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, you're talking about very few people. Even today, with the power of the internet, you know, the web, digital communication, very, you know, billions of people don't have any access to these stories. So my point is that because you and I believe, this is where we're going in this first podcast, okay, mm -hmm. that there is a God, we've said that, it's a, he's a God who speaks, and he speaks in different ways, this idea of inspiration. We believe that he actually participates in universal communication. Right. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, no one is without exposure to God's communication. Mm. Psalm 19, there is no place where the language of God is not heard and spoken. You and I are believing that God speaks to every human being universally. What, so, wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. I want to stop you right there because, listen, we grew up in a faith tradition that um, we grew up in a faith tradition that said we have to bring the gospel to the world because if we don't do it, how in the world are they going to know? And when every, I mean, I grew up remembering this thought. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood it, but I grew up thinking, listen, if we don't, if we, when that last person hears the name of Jesus, then he's got to come. So we got to get out there. We got to do the work, right? Are you telling me? Are you telling me? that God might reveal himself in ways beyond me and in ways that I might not even understand? Are, is that what you're telling me? That it's not, I'm not confined to this? Because that seems, Alex, that seems a little dangerous to me. You're, you're transcending a little bit and that, that worries me. Yes. Oh, okay, good. Let's move on. <laughs> but you see the implications of that, right? I mean, we can, we can pass through these things. I, so this is what it's hit me in the last few years. This is an illustration to kind of talk about what we're doing right now. You know, we've, we've understood the words of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. When I say understand, at least been exposed to the words of Jesus in our particular faith traditions that we come from. Um, and, and the words that Jesus said that were so revolutionary they got him killed, we use as, as literally children's stories, Right? The parables, which I would argue probably got him killed as much as anything else he said. We use them as children's stories, right? So there has been a domestication, domestification? I think that's the right word. We have dom domesticated the words of Jesus to the point where, you know, they're a house cat, not a, a roaring lion anymore. But, but what you're saying right now, we can pass through really quickly and people can go, oh yeah, okay, that's sure. Um, God speaks to, to other people, but, but the implications, like that's, that's kind of a roaring lion statement. If you ask me, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, no, I think, I, no, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's right. So let me ask you this, Tim, tell me about Abraham's Bible study experiences. Abraham. Well, so, well, the, the, the truth no, so so the reality is Abraham didn't have a Bible. So this is what's interesting. D 
uh, my listeners. Our dear, uh, we can't use the term dear listeners. That's, dear, another, use, that's another podcast that you another do. another podcast, yeah. and that's just stealing is all yeah. that is. Yeah, so Abraham is regarded as the father of three major world religions, mm-hmm. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Right. They're also three, they're the three big monotheistic religions, and they're the three big religions that have a sacred text, okay? The right. Torah, the Christian scriptures, and um, the Quran, okay? But what's fascinating is the prototype for, for our three religions is a person who had no sacred text. <laughs> now think about that, right? And... And, and Abraham, even, you know, even in our scriptures, J- Jesus, you know, in the New Testament, we talk about Abraham as the great example of who we should lean into to think about how to, how to live a life of faith. And he had no Bible. So I think, and, and please, I, I, I want, we're going to spend so much time loving on the scriptures and being loved by them. You and I are, we've devoted our lives to those scriptures. But I think what I want to say is that if we're to look to Abraham, this means that Abraham has this rich relationship with Yahweh, with God. Mm-hmm. Through what? Through the stars, through the night skies, through the whisper that no one else can hear, through the visitation of guests who show up at his house and they have a meal. You see, you see, so yeah. I... It's just this powerful idea that we are a part of this Abrahamic religion that believes in the sacred text, but yet the example, the initial example comes to us for someone who had no Bible, who had no Quran, who had no Torah. Hmm. That's interesting. That's good. You know, I look at the life of Abraham and I think, you know, he didn't do everything right. A, you know, he got a couple things right. Moses is kind of the same way, right? When the big ass came, they went. Then the rest, the trivia was kind of messy. But when the big ass came, ask came, they, uh, they decided to go. By the way, I, you're about to hear, it seems like someone edging the grass around my office. Nice. J- just so we know. if The grass if, is growing? Apparently, yeah. Well, they water it a lot here. I guess we you're pay, in southern. We pay a significant amount of money to have this grass mowed, so I'm not going to stop which, the guy from doing it. But. Which is an interesting bookend on this conversation, since we started with the fact that I spent 20 minutes heating up my car for a four-minute drive, and now <laughs> you're watering grass where grass should not grow. It should not grow. <laughs> so you're, you're, we're both killing the environment, and this is... No, but I, I want to come back to, the, to what you said about Moses and Abraham wrestling so much. What's interesting is that their, their failures and their wrestling are around the subject of the difficult the difficulty of hearing the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another piece that I want to say on the outset, that God reveals himself universally, but it's also the case, and this is, you know, this will come with a future conversation, but it's also a problematic area for people of faith. He reveals himself, but yet we all struggle with it. Right. That's... Yes. Yeah, so how do you, how do you seek that? I feel like you're begging a question here, but right. you have to, you have to, so is the question that you're seeking the revelation of God or you're seeking an understanding of that revelation? Like break that break, help me understand that. Cause I think, yeah, it's a little bit of a mystery, right? So 
why is it that we're having a podcast where we're trying to sort out and wrestle with how to communicate with God? Think, think about that. Hmm. It, it, it suggests a reality, which is that the way God has chosen to communicate is in hints, in it's obfuscated, obfuscated. Yeah, it's obfuscated. It's opaque. We see through a glass darkly, Paul says. Um, it's through suggestion. It's through bits and pieces. It's through breadcrumbs. Uh, N.T. Wright, the theologian, talks about signposts, which say, oh, 150 miles to Los Angeles, but it's not Los Angeles. It's just a sign that says Los Angeles might be up out there somewhere. Right. And that basic, basically, uh, that's, I, I, that's this dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. That we're, we're acknowledging we believe in God. We believe he communicates. We believe he communicates universally. And yet. Yeah. Because it's like a hunt, right? And yet it's a hunch. Um, so, you know, the concept of wild goose, a wild goose chase. Do you know no. where that comes from? No. So that's actually that's actually from Irish Christianity, as I understand it. Um, going on a wild goose goose chase is following the Holy Spirit, trying to find out where the Holy Spirit is leading you. And they used to call it a wild goose chase. I, that's what a guy who owns Wild Goose Coffee told me. So I'm, I'm that's my that's my Google for that is. Um, and I think that I think there's some truth to that. Um, and it feels like that sometime, right? Sometimes it feels like your relationship with God or trying to understand what God wants for you, the will of God, will of God, if we can say that, to be revealed to us. It does feel like a wild goose chase. And as a pastor, you get asked that question more than almost any other question. You know, people don't often ask, like, what's the ontological reasons you believe in God? What they ask is, <clears throat> what is God's will for my life and when is he going to tell me? Yeah. You know, I... It's that we're recording this and it's the Christmas season. It's December. So I think it was 11 years ago. It was in my first few months pastoring the Walla Walla University Church. So I did this sermon. And here's the title of the sermon. Betting on Bethlehem. Betting on Bethlehem. Uh-huh. And, and the sermon was about, you know, my own confession that... Uh, it's not, things are not clear in this world. Nothing's a hundred percent, but I'm going to put my chips on Bethlehem on that story. And of course it's provocative in a, you know, first of all, I'm using a gambling metaphor, um, (laughs) in a tradition that, you know, well, I actually, I would say, I don't really think gambling's a good idea either, but uh, (laughs) a lot of heart, a lot of heartache there. But no, I remember having a conversation with a colleague after that about either the foolishness of standing up in front of a congregation and, and admitting that this is just a bet. Right. It's just a bet that there's uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that foolish or is that bold? So we were, uh, anyway, we we're just talking about that, but I think that's the wild goose chase, right? That's betting on Bethlehem. Uh, I want this Christmas story to be true, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's true, but I also acknowledge that, it's in bits and pieces that I come to that hope. Hmm. That's there's a messiness there. 
And and by the way, there it's like there's a messiness there. That's a nice way to say some people would take that as traitorous. Right? That doubt. First of all, the doubt exists in that conversation. Number two, that you're leading a congregation um, and acknowledging the fact that like I, you know, I want this to be true. That's like yeah. I mean, in some ways you're you know, you're leaning into Pascal's wager a little bit, right? You're acknowledging, you're acknowledging that, you know, all things being equal. I think it's better to bet there is a God than there isn't a God. But yeah. I mean, I don't, I, that's a, that's a oversimplification for sure. It's an oversimplification for sure. Um, but shouldn't it be easier? I mean, doesn't the Bible just give us bullet points essentially and of not just clear directives, but clear like, oh, by the way, and this is how you think of God, or this is what, who God is. I mean, that's pretty clear because we all believe it the same way because it's so clear, right? Oh my goodness, we got like <laughs> five five more minutes probably for this podcast, and now we're gonna. So sorry, I shouldn't have opened that up. No, that wasn't okay, fair. no, 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 no. It's I, I think it's another car that we're gonna put in the parking lot, and then we're gonna pull it back in when it's time. But I want to say a couple things. One is. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the author of Hebrews says. So, no, it's not scandalous because we use the word faith, which is leaning into evidence of things we cannot see clearly. <laughs> so I'm not making a case for Alex or Tim, you know, is not making the Gillespie case. This is what scripture talks. This is faith. This is from Abraham to Hebrews. This is, this is reality. It's a covenant with the unknown, right? Oh, I, that's good. But that's also scary. It's a great, yeah. I love your phrase, but it's also a scary phrase because I think that's right. Um, Which, by I the way, we make, we make covenants with the unknown all the time, just for the record. Like when people are like, oh, I don't have faith in much. Like, that's not true. If you get married, that's a covenant with the unknown. Right. You don't know what's going to, it's a covenant with the not yet. Every time you take a new job, it's right. a covenant with the unknown. Like we do that all the yeah. time. Yeah. And we hope for the best. Um, it seems that it seems like the difference between between knowing and faith is pretty significant, and we can uh, we can tease that out talking about the you know is knowing faith. Well, and and now I'm going to really mess mess with our minds a little bit, but I would say I would say that Aber excuse me that Adam and Eve before the fog of sin say before we we're living in the fog of sin which is that's a whole subject we need to talk about about how that's clouded our minds right but i would i would argue that adam and eve needed faith even in a perfect world hmm. because isn't that how that story plays out that the tempter comes and says actually you shouldn't have faith in this because there's some stuff that's getting held back so that what you're saying about marriage or getting on an airplane or taking a new job, that's not just a, a reality of living in a broken world. That's life in a perfect world because faith is a part of what is good about life. Mm -hmm. Hey, let me, let me throw one other piece into that because that's really good. Let me throw another piece into that. Um, when God created us, he made a covenant with the unknown. <laughs> So that means there's a portion of faith that God has. Now, I understand that this speaks into, do you believe in, you know, the like this speaks into the knowledge of God and, you know, where you land on that and what's there to be known and all this other stuff, which we're not going to get into right now with the last two minutes we have. But, um, yeah, man, this is, uh, well, 
I'll just say it this way. This is a good starting point. This is a good starting point. We should probably wrap it up right now because I know you've got things and I've got things. But um, listen, thank you for being along for this. These are, um, this is what keeps me up at night. These are the fun questions. So Alex, thank you. Dr. Alex Bryan, thank you for joining us from somewhere in Washington state where it's cold. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, we want to just continue to encourage you to uh, go to the Apple store, go to Spotify, give this a rating if you can. If it's something that's good that you want to hear more of, let us know. You can always email us and I'll just have you do this right now. Email podcast at crosswalkvillage.com um, if you have any questions or things that you'd like us to talk about. Thank you guys. Have a great day and continue to think about God. Thank you.